So last week um, was the start of a teaching series. Never thought I'd ever have one of those, uh, to be honest with you. And I didn't know till halfway through the teaching and sermon that it was even going to be multi-part, multiple part. Uh, the Lord had put it on me on what to be teaching on and gave me a lot of revelation for myself. And that's one of the ways I know he wants me to preach it is because I'm getting new understanding of stuff. I've read a thousand times. Uh, funny enough, all the teachings in Romans, and it was the first book I read after I got saved. And right after that, I just went to 1 Samuel, reading about David, but uh, that's a story for another day. But basically what we were teaching on uh, last week was about Romans 3 through 6. And um, basically what the Lord was wanting to show us is that sometimes, actually all the times, the gospel is as simple as it sounds. And there's one key phrase that's used all the time. This, these promises in the Lord, these, this freedom from our sin and from past mistakes all comes from one thing, and that is faith in Jesus. And that's not just, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I believe in Jesus to the point where I follow him daily. I've given him my life, every part of my life that doesn't line up with this word, everything that doesn't line up with him or his will, with the Father's will, I reject it, and I ask the Lord to get it out of my life. And we can do that because of the freedom that we have, because we were all born not just sinners. We were born slaves to sin. And what's a slave? Because this is actually a good refresher for where we're about to go. A slave is somebody who is owned by a master. And the word says, and we all know this, that the reason we have become slaves to sin in the first place is because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And where all they place the blame, it don't matter. God blamed them both. Remember that. But because of that, we were born slaves. The sense is why every man and every woman has to make the decision to follow Jesus for themselves. And when we make this decision, a lot of the times, and even the way I was raised, and a lot of people listening on here and here in person know this, we said the sinner's prayer a thousand, thousand, thousand times, and nothing seems to change. We don't know what to do next, and we keep going to church, we keep hearing good messages, but nothing seems to change. And what gets frustrating about that is it's like, well, Lord, I believe when I'm praying uh, for this salvation. I believe that I know I need you. I believe what you did on the cross. I believe you, Jesus, but what's missing? The missing part is discipleship. Discipleship comes from teaching, not just preaching fun or good messages that sound good, but don't change your heart. Don't make you feel like, you know what? This applies to me. And not only in correction, but guidance. When you hear a teaching and a word from the Holy Spirit that just gets into your heart, that's guiding you in what to do next with the Holy Spirit. It's your next step. The Lord says, I guide the steps of the righteous. And so today we're going to hit it. Uh, we're going to hit some. And we did last week on what is righteous. Our righteousness is in Jesus. And it sounds kind of vague, but it's actually very simple. What Jesus did, when we have faith in what he did, we call out to him. And we give our lives to Jesus because we've heard it all your whole life. Salvation is free. Is it not? Yes. We don't earn salvation. We don't live good to go to heaven. We believe what Jesus did. And from then on, we become disciples. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say, go get people saved in my name. Not one time did Jesus say that. It's a given. We know it's needed. That's how life change. That's how people's lives change. That's how people get saved. But it's the disciples Jesus told us to make, and salvation is free. We did not earn it. Discipleship costs you everything. Does that mean you're going to lose your kids and job? No. Does that mean you're going to 
You're going to have to go through some stuff that that hurts and, and, and riles you and gets things that were in you that you didn't even know up. And, and you're going to have to give it to God and go through these some sometimes struggles. But the promise is you'll always get. Through. Yes. Yeah, you will. That is the discipleship. It's, it's like every one of us have to walk in sanctification. There's not a single person on this earth yet. Other than Jesus, who has ever walked in perfect sanctification from birth. There's no one on this earth that will ever do that. And it actually, remember that I just said it, because that has to do with some of the things that the Lord wants to teach today, because it was absolutely mind-boggling. Hopefully it's, hopefully it's helpful for you, but I actually asked the Lord, if it's not new to me, if it's not a revelation, if it doesn't make me feel closer to you, I don't want to teach it and preach it. If it's not for me as well, I don't feel like I have business teaching it unless the Lord specifically tells me to. So last week, just to sum up, what we were talking about is the free grace. Grace is a gift, the grace that we saw from the Lord. And the greatest act of love we ever saw was that he sent Jesus to do what? Free us from the slavery of sin. And how did he do that? And this is where the Holy Spirit is funny. He told me what to read last night. Today, he told me where to start. And it's right where I ended last time. But remember, Jesus came to free us from the slavery of sin through the old law. The old law is the law of Moses, if you don't know this. And that law, which uh, the Ten Commandments is actually part of that. And the word says that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Does that mean the law was bad? No, it actually showed holiness. It was so holy and it was so from God and it was so accurate. It actually showed us what sin was. But the problem with the law is... We'll get into it. But Jesus came to set us free from the slavery of sin. Not just die for our sins. There's a difference there. Not only cover our sins with his blood, and the Lord literally does not remember them. His word says, I cast your sins into a sea of forgetfulness. You may remember your sins. Satan may remind you of your sins. God does not. So if God Almighty, who is the only one who is just and righteous enough to remember sin, chooses not to, who are we? to remember them for ourselves or our brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's real easy for people to come up and divide because of people's past. But that being said, we're going to go ahead and start here. This is, if you got your Bibles, it's in Romans chapter 7. If you need one, there's plenty up here. I'll get one for you. Raise your hand. Anybody need a Bible? If you got them on your phone, that's fine too. Uh, most of the time I'm using my tablet, but I have so many written notes and highlights here. These are my notes today. So that's the only reason I don't have, I've got it, but I'm not using it. Uh, I, and if you have an app on your phone and you want to read what version I'm reading, I'm reading HCSB or Holman Christian Standard. It's one of my favorites. That amplified. You said Romans 7? Yeah, Romans chapter 7 is where we're going to start. So we're going to start off kind of like we did last week. We're going to do a lot of reading um, because you can't preach more than the living Word of God. Uh, but the Holy Spirit has given me some you know, revelation stuff that we'll, we'll be talking about and some, some points here. But we're going to start in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. And uh, just raise your hands when you get it so I know not to start off too soon. <clears throat> so I'm going to go ahead and start. Since I am speaking to those, un uh, those who understand law, brothers, are you unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives? Now, remember in Galatians 3, one of the things it says uh, is that the law was actually given to the Jews as a punishment from God. And we're, we're about to get into why in this chapter. But he's talking to some of the Jews right now in Rome, actually. Brothers, are you unaware that the law has, a, that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives? For example, 
A married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives, not just legally in a court of law, but legally to God as well. But if her husband dies, she was released from the law regarding the husband. So the law has her bound to her husband. But if he if he were to die, she is now actually released from the law regarding being married. From the, the rules that God has placed about being married. She actually now is free from that. Does that make sense? Not that she was wanting to get free from her husband. This doesn't say he was bad in any way, but he's passed away now. So God is not saying you're obligated to be married to a dead man. There's no obligation on her from God or the law. So then if she gives herself to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then if she gives herself to another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions operated through the law in every part of us and bore fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what has held us so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. For what does the word say? It says that the letter brings death. But the spirit brings what? Life. So what is he saying here? He's saying because of the death of Jesus, who we call the bridegroom in the church, the body of Christ is called, or he's the bride and we're the bridegroom, the wife, in a better, in a more sense, if that doesn't make too much, if it doesn't make sense, he is the husband, we are the wife. Does that make sense? That's why there's a reason that marriage was the first covenant between man and God before Abraham. God created everything, created Adam, and he's like, it's not good that man is alone, and boom, evil's created, and they were married. And he wanted to do that to show us his intention for marriage. It's not something we just choose. It's by God's choosing. Is it for our benefit? Yes. Does God know the desires of our heart? Yes. God is not going to make you marry somebody who you're disgusted by. Can we sometimes be disgusted with our spouses? Yes. You sure can. That's called being human. That's called we're not perfect. That's normal. But marriage was used from God from the beginning to illustrate him. To illustrate the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But remember, when the law was given to the Jews through Moses, the Father had not yet been revealed. The Jews, the world, did not know God the Father existed. It was just Yahweh, Jehovah. They knew He was holy and they knew He was God. But the Father was not understood. He was not yet revealed, nor was the Son, and nor was the Holy Spirit. Funny enough, though, they're all spoken about. But in ways that no one could understand, but we do because we know the truth now. And I'm like, well, why didn't they know it? Because they didn't know what we know. What's one of the things Jesus came for? It wasn't just to die for your sins. It wasn't just to set you free from the slavery of sin. It was to reveal the Father and to cleanse us by his blood to make us holy enough to house the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit. And just a quick uh, quick synopsis for, for those who don't know. We, we had a um, last Easter... We had, a, and it's funny that the Lord's leading because I didn't know until I woke up today, today's the day of Pentecost. And funnier than that, on Easter, when most people preach the, the resurrection, um, the Lord had me preach something completely different that had nothing to do but 
to the resurrection. One of the things Jesus promised, which was the Holy Spirit. He is a he. He is as much God as Jesus and the Father. The Holy Spirit is he. Jesus doesn't live on our hearts. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He's the one who speaks to us. Jesus is on the right hand of the Father. So that's what this word says. He ascended from this earth alive on a cloud. And he's on the right hand of the Father. Now, we know this. Some of you know this already. Some don't. Just going over it quickly. The Holy Spirit is here. With he's our promise that says that he is given as our first fruits. That means a down payment for receiving Christ to be able to walk in him. Because here's the thing. Well, I'll keep reading, then we'll get to that. I'm going to go back just a little back to verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions operated through the law in every part of us and bore fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. He's saying because the sin living in me, because I'm a slave to sin, the law is used as a punishment because the sin living in me is what's in control. And so some of you are like, oh, we can have self-control. Uh, it's in the Bible. Yes, it is. How and where is it in the Bible? Fruit of the Spirit, not you. And sin seizing opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandments came, sin sprang to life and I died. Now, when he says I died, he's talking about his spirit. Because we're all made immortal. We're in a flesh body. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just, and good. Therefore, did what is good cause my death? Absolutely not. He's saying God does not contradict himself. He said, if the law is holy and from God, did it cause his spiritual death? And he said, no. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good. He's saying our, our slavery to sin, naturally, was using what was good to produce death in him. What does that really mean? To separate you further and further and further from God. And people think that, oh, well, I prayed a prayer one time. I can live like I want to and go to heaven. No, you can't. And I've got about a thousand other Bible verses that say you can't. But, it, but bear with me. In order to be recognized, that sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure, like I just said, further and further and further from God. For we know that the law is spiritual. The law of God comes from who? God. So we know it's of the spirit. It's, of, it's spiritual. But I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. Everybody's about to relate very heavily. For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do. But I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that's good and from God. 
So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh. For the desire to do good, to do what is good, is with me. But there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. But it is the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. AKA, do you keep sinning and doing the same thing over and over and then feeling conviction and bad about it? That's actually a good sign. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Notice that he said law of sin. The law of sin was revealed through God's law. But it's the law, our body, and the flesh, dead, apart from God, has to obey. It has to. Otherwise, the whole world wouldn't need Jesus, just some people. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. So what he's saying right here is I have a dilemma. He's saying my heart agrees with God's law. I want to do what is obedient to God. I want to live holy. I want to live just before the Lord. I want to glorify him in every action that I do in private and in public. He said, but with my flesh to the law of sin. So in his flesh, he is a slave to sin. Like we talked about last week, the slavery of sin. One of the things Jesus came to pass. One of the things he wanted to do was fulfill the law. Why? And then die on the cross for us. Why? So we are no longer slaves of sin in Christ, in Christ only. And this right here, if this doesn't make you want to get up and run around the building, I don't know what does. I'm going to go back to what I just read. So then with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God in his mind where he wants to be. He's like, this is what I want. But with my flesh to the law of sin, he said, but I'm torn two ways. He said, because my flesh just wants to, wants to do it. He said, and because of that, it's my sin living in me that's doing this. It's not me. What he means is, it's not that he's not responsible for his sin. What he's saying is this, my spirit, my soul who loves the Lord. Because remember, we are immortal beings in a temporary flesh body. He's saying, because I'm this immortal being who wants to please God, I'm in a flesh body who's a slave to sin because of the sins of Adam and Eve. Now I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And there is no freedom in how I am and how the world has been since Adam and Eve fell, since sin entered into the world. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You're asking why. I've asked myself why. On Easter did I preach about the Holy Spirit. This is who Je one of the things Jesus came to do was to die on the cross and make us holy so he could come. Jesus said that it is better that I go from the one coming after me. The Father will send the Counselor, the Comforter. 
He's talking about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read this again. There are ifs, ands, and buts in this. There are restrictions, but it's actually free. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. Your sins are gone. They're gone. God does not remember them. It doesn't matter what you've done, even if you're having to pick up parts of your life and let the Lord put them back together that sin has created. It doesn't matter. They're not held against you anymore. No condemnation. That means guiltless before God. It doesn't matter what any human being says to you. It doesn't matter what you what you think you're saying to yourself, which is really the accuser. Satan talking to you, telling you you're not worthy. You're not. Christ made you worthy. He knew what he was doing. It wasn't an accident. It was on purpose. The greatest act of love the world has ever seen. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. Because the Spirit's law of life. Notice if you're reading, that is capitalized. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So how are we free? By what Jesus did through the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit only. And I'll prove it. When the law could not do, or sorry, what the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. I'm going to read that again. What the law could not do, the purpose why a lot of people think it came, which was to show us how to live holy. It wasn't. What the law could not do it was limited by the flesh because it was holy. He's not saying the law is unholy or from Satan. He's saying the law is holy, but we weren't. We were still dirty. Our temples were not clean. We weren't even made temples yet. And it sounds almost cheesy and religious when you say, oh, my body's a temple. It is, but only in Christ. He made it clean. He did that. What the law could not do, the law of all, because it was limited by our flesh. This part is one of the most precious things in the Bible. God did. God made the law. He saw we couldn't hold it. The word says that if you broke one of the old law, you broke them all. That was it. And Satan used it. Satan used the flesh, the sin we were born into. He used the law of God. To, to literally show us what not to do and then make us do it because we were slaves of it. And it's easy to get really mad at people and say, oh yeah, by choice. Well, they probably don't know Jesus. And instead of you getting angry at somebody who's a slave to sin and death, maybe you should show them how you got free. You ever wonder why Jesus said, go into every living creature and preach the gospel? This is why. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in flesh like ours under sin's domain. The domain of sin was earth because of the fall of Adam and Eve. It says in the word that's when sin entered into the world is when Adam and Eve sinned. So it said that he sent his own son in flesh like ours under sin's domain. That means what? He was tempted by every single sin. He could have sinned and did not. And as a sin... Offering. What's a sin offering? Back in the days of old, when you broke the law, guess what you had to do? You had to get a sin offering, a perfect little lamb without blemish. And you had to bring it to the temple, and the Holy of Holies, the high priest would come out, and he would sacrifice. 
You have done what the word says not to do, which is to let any unholy or dirty or vile thing come out of your mouth. Now you've sinned. Right after you were, a sin offering was paid for you. Now you're stuck. Now you got to wait for the next one. In order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I want to read that again. Bear with me. And as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement, because it is holy, it is of God. So it has requirements. Would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the who? Spirit. How do you walk? Not in sin. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one promised to us, the, the one who came when Jesus ascended. Acts chapter 2, if you haven't read it. It's amazing. For those who live according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. We worry about the things of the world. We worry about the drama in our families. We worry about the little mess ups here and there. We worry about the long term plans and the short term plans. We don't think of our God in heaven who is for us because we are not walking according to the spirit, but according to the flesh, which is going to do what? It produces nothing but sin and death. And you're still a slave to it because that is where you're worshiping. You are all. See, thank you, Lord. This, I'm about to actually get to it. One of the ways, the number one way God wants you to worship him is not raising your hands in a song where everybody has smoke lights and mirrors going on. I'm not, I'm not condemning it, but I'm saying that's not the first form and the most important form of worship. It says in this word in multiple places, Old and New Testament, it is obedience to God in your body. That is the number one thing God requires of us as worship. Because he don't want you raising your hands and singing and making pretty music. And when your hearts are disobedient. And Amos, it literally says that your hearts are disgusting to me. And I don't want to hear your flutes and everything else. And I'm paraphrasing, but I'll, I'll get to it here in a second. He said, because you are living in disobedience to me. He's like, don't you dare play music to me. Don't you burn your incense for me. Because you go home and live like you want. But then we feel trapped and we feel like we're in now in the spirit of religion. We feel like we are stuck in a place because it's like, but Lord, I cannot stop. I'm sitting here thinking about it all the time. Condem condemnation comes on me, not conviction, mind you. Condemnation comes on me and I feel bad for my sins, but I can't seem to come over it. So then I hear, Lord, I need to be obedient to worship you, but I can't be obedient. He's telling you how. Surrender yourself, your mind, your mouth, your eyes, your ears, your heart, and your physical bodies to the Holy Spirit. Say it out loud. You don't have to understand it all. You start with a step. God said, I got the steps of the righteous. Not, well, do you, uh, Kathy, do you know the next 10 years for your life? I'll guide you once you get there. Good luck. He said, I got every single step. You take, who are the righteous? Those who believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. We just went over it last week for an hour and a half. It's that simple. It is that simple. So how do you do it? Surrender to the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? It's easy to read this without explaining it. What does it look like to surrender to the Holy Spirit? How we don't sin. How we make better decisions. How we know we are letting God guide us. How do we know? How do we do this? Ask Him. Who here has received Jesus Christ as their Savior? Who believes He's the Messiah? Who believes He is the Son, and God, Son of God? Who believes he is God himself incarnate? Who believes he rose from the dead after dying on the cross and he's on the right hand of the Father as an advocate for you and me right now? Raise your hands. 
Good. Guess what? You have the Holy Spirit with you. Word says so. Actually, say this out loud. Jesus is Lord. The word says you cannot say that without the Holy Spirit's help. That sounds like, wait a second. Wait a second. I've actually been through manifestation problems, uh, a demon manifestation in people when I was a leader at another church. Uh, my wife was with me during this, and she was uh, up during worship. I'm not going to name names uh, or anything like that, but she, but something was off. And the Holy Spirit started, I felt him. And the Holy Spirit said, her, go, go to her. And as I got about 10 feet away from her, I looked at my wife and told her to come here because it's a woman. And a man shouldn't be in private with a woman, even in front of people, for what he's saying. We have to keep ourselves accountable. But I tell my wife to come up. And as I start getting closer, I'm like, ah, this is a demon. And I saw her, her hands were raised. In, in, when we raise our hands in worship, and by the way, we should sing to the Lord. We should raise our hands in worship to the Lord and incorporately as a body. Bert says so. But he wants your obedience first. Keep that in mind. But we raise our hands in what? Surrender. We do this to receive. It seems symbolic, and you know, maybe maybe man-made, but it's the heart that counts. The Lord knows that. And if I'm up there saying, Lord, give it, and my hands are raised up to the heavens, and I'm towards God, that's actually a good place to be. So this woman's hands were up during worship. There's nothing against that at all. It's actually, to me, it's sweet. Shows somebody's heart. But she was like this and starts to, she was tense. I'm like, she looks like somebody has got her in a frozen block of ice. She was so tense. And I walk up to her and I see her teeth gritting and spitting at the mouth. So she couldn't move. I'm like, ah, okay. I said, you know what's happening, right? And she's going, I said, I'm not talking to you. You can't talk in Jesus' name. Be quiet. I said, I'm talking to you. And I said her name. And she opened her eyes instantly. I said, say Jesus is Lord. And she went, she couldn't do it because a demon was on her. We found out later why, and it's sad. I hope she's doing better now. She got a lot of revelation too. A lot of witchcraft in our family growing up. Opens doors. But she couldn't say it. You all just did. Remember that going forward. The Holy Spirit's not only in this room. He's not only on me and in me. He's on and in you, speaking to you daily. You want to hear the voice of God? Ask. He says you have not because you ask not. Do you think that God can't talk to you? How does he talk to you? The word says, the Holy Spirit. I can prove it. Jesus said, my words are not my own. To his disciples. He said, my words are not my own. Then whose word? He's the son of God, God himself. Whose words were they? He said, but from my father. How does the father talk to us? Through the Holy Spirit. Jesus walked this earth exactly how God planned and intended us to. The same way Jesus did. Now, were we born sinless? No. Was Jesus? Yes, because he was not born of man. He was born of God through a woman, a virgin. There's a, there's a reason God had to do it that way. It was to get around that. Could Jesus have sinned? We know he was tempted. Duh, he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Could he have sinned? Was it possible for Jesus to sin? Yes, or he would not have been worthy to take my place. He did what I could not. With the same temptations. I'm going to keep reading. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. I'm on. Uh, uh, ver- I'm in chapter 8, verse 7 in Romans. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law. For it is unable to do so. Let that sink in for a second. He's saying the flesh does not submit itself to God's will because it can't. It's not of God. 
It's of sin that Adam and Eve brought into this world. Sin is not of God, ever. It never has been. So how does it submit to God? It can't, physically. Those who are in the flesh cannot place God. Those who are walking according to your understanding, your opinions, your emotions, your thoughts, cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh. See, Paul here has a direct statement to those who are hearing and reading this from Paul, who are thinking, oh no, that sounds like me, I'm not pleasing God. He's reminding you who you are. You all just raised your hands. I just asked you who Jesus was to you. I just asked you to say Jesus is Lord and you did it. You have the Holy Spirit in you and the enemy wants you to think and doubt you do. So this is Paul's response, knowing what they were going to think by the accuser, by the enemy who comes in to make you doubt your salvation, to doubt your faith in Jesus. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God, and it does not submit itself to God, for it's unable to do so. Those who are in the law of flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since the spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And in the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. How do you live the abundant life Christ came to give? He just answered you. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and then he raised Christ from the dead. He will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. How? Through his spirit. Through his spirit. You want to know how to walk like you've never walked before after saying the same prayer a thousand times in your life? Get in touch with the Holy Spirit. He's already here. You don't have to invite him into your life. Say, Holy Spirit, you were given. You were sent to me and you're here by your own will. You are my connection to the Lord. You're my connection to Jesus, and you're my connection to the Father, all earned by Jesus. You don't earn it. You're not trying to live holy to earn heaven. You live righteously to become more like Jesus. I'm going to continue. So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh. This is one of my favorite parts in the entire Bible, just personal little tidbit here. I'm in uh, chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you lived according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So how do you know? You're a son and daughter of the living God. He says it right here. For if you are living according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Do you feel separate from your Abba Father? Abba Father means fatherly father, not just God. Like your father, your dad, this fatherly love, even if you haven't known it, he will show you what it is. We cry out, Abba Father, enjoy. 
The original translation says we do it in joy, not in sadness. Say, Lord, help me. It's I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. Who? How do you know? I'm going to read it again. Who feels stuck in a sinful loop? You don't even have to raise your hands, but if you want to, you can. I've been there. I'll say it. If I have it, I have no business preaching it. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. What are the deeds of the body? Slavery to sin. Flesh. Death. So how do you get the sin out? Jesus already died for it. It went to hell with him. He became all sin. But he didn't come back. By the Spirit. There's so many people who do not understand why the Holy Spirit is here. They think it's this movement of God when people feel kind of jumpy and excited and happy. Is the spirit of joy part of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is being laid out real? Yes. You're getting a touch of God himself. Yes, it's real. I first don't know what to do. Is speaking in tongues of the Spirit? Yes. Are the spiritual gifts according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and a thousand other places true? Yes. But the Holy Spirit is still he. He is still God. He is the one who came down as a down payment of what Christ accomplished. What's the down payment? Being a son and daughter of God for the kingdom, our real home. So why was the Holy Spirit sent? So we could be like Jesus. I will tell you one of the biggest lies I've ever believed in this life is that I will continually sin for the rest of my life. But thank God for the grace of God. There are two versions of grace. The one that forgives you of your sin and the one that stops you from ever having to do it again. The one that takes the want out of your heart when you know something is bad for you but you're drawn by and by his grace and through his word and by the Holy Spirit making it real and known to you. Now you have forsaken your sin and when this word says the law by the law you are obligated to sin but all of a sudden now I hate my sin and I'm not even tempted by it anymore how is that possible it's called deliverance for who the sun sets free is free indeed how does he do it by dying on the cross for you and sending the Holy Spirit it says right here by the spirit if you put to death the deeds of your body flesh sin you are not obligated anymore. I cannot do that in and of myself. But through God, through my faith in Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit living in me, I have been set free. So have you. The biggest lie I ever believed was that, I, well, I'm going to get more and more sanctified, and I'll get a little bit cleaned up here, and a little bit cleaned up there. Is that true? Yes. Sanctification is a part of your daily walk with Jesus. But I'm, I'm reading something here. I've read it all to you. You've all been reading with me. And I would like you to openly answer me if you have an answer. If you have an answer this, to this question, I want you to say it out loud. Where here is the discrepancy that says all of this is true. But you're still going to live in sin. That's not what this says. This doesn't say you're going to be perfect. We need sanctification. We've got to follow Christ daily. But what is this really saying? The biggest lie I believed is that I will continually sin, different sins, one day less and less and less and less until I get to heaven one day. Right? Does that sound familiar? That's what I've always believed. Even if you have it, at least just let me entertain you with this. Like, you see what I'm saying? This is what I believe. And I'm like, well, I'm thankful for this, the process of sanctification, of following Jesus daily with the Holy Spirit, offer of the will of the Father as I commune with them all. Right? 
if what this is saying is true, on this earth, you can be like Jesus in totality. Does that mean you were born into sin? Yes. Was Jesus? Nope. That's dead. Your past is dead, is it not? Is your past cast into a sea of forgetfulness, or is it not? Is your sins of the past, even today, are they covered by the blood, or are they not? See, the thing is, we can live a life seeking God daily. We can and continually sin. Or I can just believe what this says. And it says, but by the Spirit, if I will put to death the deeds of the body. It's saying that I sure can do it. And as I'm doing this, as I realize I'm not even tempted by what my flesh, by law, by the original law, has to do, it's because I have been set free. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so when you hear this scripture, when you're reading this and you're understanding, okay, I'm starting to get more. It's the Holy Spirit. It's by Him that I need to commune with to the Father as He, the Son, is an advocate for me. Right? Okay, that makes sense. But He's saying, but if we put this to death, you will live. What does that mean? You'll live. You'll have life in the Lord. Right? Yes. But this also means another meaning. And it's going to prove it as I keep reading on here in a second. It also proves we don't have to live like that. Does that mean that we're going to come to a full realization of who God is in this lifetime? Heck no, he's infinite. The angels in heaven don't even have a full realization of who he is. The word says so. They circle around his throne screaming and singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is, and is to come. Every time they get around, they revolve around his throne, they get more revelation of who he is. He's an infinite God. Do not expect to know him all. And the closer you get, do expect sometimes to feel like you don't know him at all. The more revelation I get, sometimes it feels like that. I'm like, well, who are you really? He's like, Chase, you're going the right way. I just want you closer. You're my son. He chose specifically to call us his children. We chose out of love for him to call ourselves his servant. First John is one of my favorite books in the Bible. What love God has lavished upon us that we should be called God's children. Let that sink in. He's saying what great show of love that God has poured on us that he would call us his children, his kids, by his choice. And it's like I just read, it says that in and of ourselves, there was no way to do it. The law could not do it. It said we couldn't do it with the law. So God did. He saw the missing piece. He saw what needed to happen to restore us to him. He didn't create us to be sinful. He created us to look like him, to be like him, to know him, and to be close to him. Do you? Who here has kids? Everybody should raise their hands. Who loves your kids? Everybody should raise their hands. Who doesn't want to be closer to their kids? Thank you for nobody raising your hands on that one. Why? Because you're all good parents. Everybody in this room, I know. And you're all good parents. So you want to be closer and closer to your kids because you love them. Who taught you how to be a parent and how to love your children? We were made in God's image. We call him father by his choice, not ours. He, by his choice, wanted us to be his father. So I'm going to continue. This is one of my favorite places. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. How do you know you're a son or daughter of God? You allow yourself and submit yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit. That is a way of knowing. 
I love the description here. I'm going to actually read this because this is HCSB. This is a study Bible, and I love that. Whoever they do, whatever team does this, I love them. It says, the Holy Spirit is not an agent of bondage, but instead the means of our adoption into God's family. By the Spirit, we have a consciousness that God is our Father. It is the mark of a Christian to cry out to his Father in prayer. The Spirit is also, uh, Spirit also gives us assurance of our status and therefore of our salvation. Have you ever started to doubt your salvation? And closest to God. I have. And even last night, as I'm reading this, I'm like, that sounds like me sometimes, the bad stuff. Sounds like me. I'm like, that's how I think sometimes. But then the Lord's correcting me. He's like, because I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh, I, I must be, the, the, you know, in the flesh, those who follow the flesh think like the flesh. I'm like, God, that Lord, forgive me. I'm repenting before I even start reading the Holy Spirit. I felt him say, stop, keep reading. And I did. But he said, but you are in the Spirit. He's not saying you have to prove to God you're in the Spirit. He's saying you have faith in Jesus, therefore this is what you are, but you have been listening to the enemy, the liar, the accuser, telling you you're still of the flesh and you wonder why. There's still sin living in you. He's told you how to get rid of it. Submit to the Holy Spirit. You're tempted? Hit your knees and say, Holy Spirit, I submit to you. Renew my mind. You'll instantly start to hear scripture. You'll hear a voice. You'll feel his peace come on you. You'll feel the temptation leave you. Instantly, physically feel it. It's crazy. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit, our internal immortal being, that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. What does it mean to be a co-heir of Christ? It's precious, actually. When Jesus came up at the beginning of his three-year ministry, he was 30. He came up to his cousin, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist sees him and he said, here comes the man who I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. John the Baptist was anointed, and his discernment was one of the craziest I've ever seen. He was a fetus and jumped at the presence of Jesus in the womb. You ever heard that story about the baby jumping because Jesus walked, Mary walked in pregnant with Jesus, and the baby jumped? That was John the Baptist, in case you didn't know that. But Jesus came to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I baptize in water, but the one coming will baptize in fire and spirit. And so as Jesus gets into the beginning of this, he gets up to get anointed. And as he gets, he gets well, baptized, and then the anointing came. and said the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. It was the first time the Holy Spirit was, anybody was baptized in the Holy Spirit. But what's precious is what the Lord verbally, the Father, said out loud. What did he say? Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That is the heir of Christ. That's his inheritance, the son of God, the king, Lord of lords. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Knowing he sent his son because we couldn't uphold the law, he said, so God did. So he sent his son to do what? To become everything that we need so that we can become like him. But see, God sees his son and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But this word, what I taught last Sunday, if you weren't with us, either on here or some people here. 
One of the things he did was just beyond making us just clean, beyond just setting us free from the slavery of sin, was to make us his children and to unveil the Father to us as the Father so that we could be called his children. So everyone in here who had raised their hands when I asked you those questions about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and to say Jesus is Lord, God is saying the same thing because of Jesus to you this. And you can only receive this through the Holy Spirit. Behold, this is my son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And the first thing you think is, but I've done this. Rebuke yourself. Just because you think it doesn't make it right. And doesn't make it you. This says, I just read. It says in chapter 7 that it's not even me doing the sin, but the sin living in me. He said it's not me. When he says it's not me, he's talking about his spirit because that's what matters. Our flesh is flesh. I can have my arms and legs chopped off and still preach and, and, and preach the gospel and preach Jesus for the rest of my life. This is just flesh. And one day it'll be restored. I'm not worried about that. He's talking about his immortal being. His spirit that will live forever. One way or the other, it's going, we're not going to physically go away and just stop existing. There is death, but it's not where you stop seeing things and feeling and knowing you're, you exist. It's the second death. Hell. But co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is coming that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits in anticipation for God's Son to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility. That means like no hope. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. What is he saying right there? He's saying, all of God's children are free. This was, he was, this was in hopes of what Jesus would do. So he already had the mindset of wanting to make us his children, knowing his children are free and royalty and heirs of his inheritance. It was pre-thought out. To those of you who are, oh, I'm not worth it, I'm not loved. Yes, you are. You are worth it. For we know that the whole Creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, down payment. We also have uh, we we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we are saved. The hope, the word says to be prepared to explain the hope that you have. What's the hope? Jesus. We are saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? I'm going to go back and read this. I felt the Lord just told me to. Now in this hope we are saved. Yet hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it. With patience. What he's saying is this. If you need to see it before you believe it, it's not faith. And as Hebrews says, without faith, you cannot please God. You, without faith, you can't even receive Jesus. All these no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. What did we teach last week? It's by faith in Christ. So if you are waiting to see God move before you believe, you'll never see it. God will make sure. 
He will make sure of it. He said, you're either going to believe who God is and what Jesus did, or you're not. Make your decision. Who are you to demand any proof from God? And yeah, he's so good, he will. He will affirm and confirm himself, his word, a thousand times over. And even in the way, we say, Lord, I'm sorry for my flesh and mind trying to get in the way, but I, I yield to you. Lord, I repent for trying to understand it all. He said, he gives you the answer what to do instead. This is how good God is. He's a good father. He doesn't just correct you. He tells you what to do. If you just spank your kid because they made you mad and you don't correct them why you had to spank them, you've missed the point. All you did is hit your kid. You didn't correct them. You didn't spank them and say, let me explain to you why I had to spank you. Had to spank you. It's because for one, I love you. The Lord said, I correct those I love. The Lord said that. The Father corrects those he loves. If you're getting corrected by God, you're his son, you're his daughter, and he loves you. It sucks and it don't feel good at first. But the more we submit to the correction of God through his word and through the Holy Spirit, the better it feels. It starts to become beautiful. Repentance goes from feeling dirty to feeling clean. Because you're like, I don't live like that anymore. You don't have to. You're free. Everyone in this room is free. You've all accepted Jesus. You're free. You're not obligated to sin anymore. That law does not apply to you. Even if Satan tells you it does. If you feel like, oh, I just have to. Or, okay, then you start making excuses for yourself. Well, just this one time. Or maybe I'll see how it works out. You are choosing to grieve the Holy Spirit. You're telling him, I don't need your voice. I'm smarter. When the word says God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. We have to stay in humility to understand we don't know crap outside of God. We know nothing outside of the word of God and through the Holy Spirit and Jesus and through what the Father reveals. We know nothing. Who are you? Are you smarter than the God who created everything? Not just earth. Are you above him? Do you think you have to understand? Are you equal to God? To where you demand that you better tell me everything? Even if you said, okay, snap your fingers and you knew all things that ever existed, your brain would probably literally explode. It's by his grace, mind you. I'm going to continue. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. This is some hope. Who here has been feeling like so you get so beat up with something or a situation and you don't even know what to pray? Does that make you stupid? Does that make you ungodly? Does that make you unholy and not a son or daughter of God? No, it's actually very normal because he's telling us what to do and what happens. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of of God. The Holy Spirit will never agree with you in prayer. When you're praying something that you already know is not in agreement with Him. Don't pray it. Just don't. Say, Lord, I, when you give your life to Christ, you're giving every part of your life. Your marriage, your job, your children, your goals, your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams. You give them all up and you give them all to God. Why? Because He will give you abundantly more than you ask or think. That's scripture. He knows better than us. Have you, who here has chosen something literally God forsaken for their lives at one point or the other? Me too. I thought I knew more than God. I wasn't even saved. And I went to church every Sunday. 
I didn't know what a relationship with God was. None of it, though. And even then, God reached out to me to try to stop me from making a decision. I still didn't. I had to pay for it. Not because God punished me. I had to pay for it because I chose something outside of his will. Outside. And I knew I should. I married somebody I shouldn't. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Most of y'all here know that. What I'm talking about. I'm going to keep reading it. And he who searches the heart knows the Spirit's mindset, for he intercedes the saints according to the will of God. Because when you go to pray, it should be in the Spirit. What does that mean? Sometimes it's tongues. Sometimes we ask the Holy Spirit what he wants us to pray. Sometimes we just mean, we feel like we just want to cry in our prayer closet. This word's promising that even as you weep, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Through these unspoken groanings, not unheard, unspoken, not words. Even through that, that's how good he is. And that does apply to you because you all raised your hands. You're stuck now. <laughs> we know that all things work together for the good for those who love God. Those who are called according to his purpose. Are you saved, yes or no? You're called according to his purpose. You need to find out what that is. Don't try to fill your life with things that you think might make you happy before first asking God, what, why did you put me on this earth? I was never a man, and I'm still not a man who wants to preach and teach and be, and be in front of anybody, especially thousands of people watching videos and sharing them. I never wanted to, but that's why he probably chose me to do it. I didn't earn it. He chose me before I was formed in my mother's womb, according to Jeremiah 1.5. If you are living and breathing, you are called and chosen to serve the Lord. And before you think he should give you anything else, you seek that first. And you continually seek it. I do this, and I have to get over my fear, my embarrassment. I have to get past my flesh and my mind to serve God because I had to just accept. It's either I will do what God wants me to do or I will not. There's no in between. And I'm like, who am I? I don't care how I feel. I don't care how I have to get past myself. I cannot even watch one of my own recordings. My team knows that. I can't hear my own voice. It just, it's cringy. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying I'm even right for that. I'm just saying personally, I have a problem with that. But I will get up here and let the Holy Spirit take over. And I will let him preach because that's why I'm here. I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm here to serve my wife and my children and teach them who God is. As we serve God together. And I will raise my children to know the Lord. And I will raise them to serve the Lord. Because that's why they're here. You're not just here to have children, even though it's a blessing. You're not just here to be a spouse. I'm one. It's a blessing. And God will use that for his will. So I'm going to continue. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And he also, and, and those he called, he also justified. How? Through Jesus. And those he justified, he also glorified. How? Through Jesus. So how do we come in alignment with this? Who here feels justified and glorified in the Lord? I'm only raising my hand because he gave me the revelation of it last night. And it's still hard for me to do it. I have to get past it. It feels like my shoulder gets rusty all of a sudden. Because like all my cartilage is gone and my muscles are in atrophy. And I, can't, and I can't lift my arm anymore. But I don't want to, but I have to. Because I'm either going to believe that the word says this or I'm going to believe the accuser. Either I've been glorified. I'm seated, seated in heavenly places with Christ. My sins are forgiven. He sees me as righteous. He sees me as holy because of what Jesus did. And my faith in him 
Or he sees me as the world and godless. There's no in-between. You cannot go home and say, I believe you, Jesus, but I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You're in, oh, you're in disobedience in direct confrontation of this word. God told Peter in a vision, call no thing unclean of which I have called clean. You were once a sinner saved by grace. Now you are white as snow by the blood of Jesus. Do not tarnish his name or his blood because you want to seem self-righteous and self-humble, which is actually pride. Did you know that? You are whipping yourself in the back like the Catholic and monks of old who would flay their own back for their sins as if Jesus didn't do that. Like he didn't take those stripes for you. Who are you to take a whipping from humanity, even for yourself? You are nothing to even take a whipping for your own sins. You're not even worthy to do that. But there is one. And he chose to take them for us. So either you are a Holy Ghost filled son and daughter of God, whom you cry out a father to, who Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and as he out of his own mouth calls you friend, who is filled with God himself, the Holy Spirit, who we submit to and let guide us and teach us, counsel us, lead us, convict us, speak to us, let us hear the voice of God through him, or you're the world. Make your decision today. Get the BS out. Some people will be offended by that, but that's what it is. It's crap. It's lies from the father of lies, from the accuser. If anything you believe, if anything you hear, if anything you see about yourself does not line up with this, and you say you have faith in Jesus and what he did, you have believed the lie and you need deliverance from it. How do you get it? I've said it a thousand times. What is today? The day of Pentecost when the promised Holy Spirit came down. That's what we do today. That's how you do it. Submit to him. You're not choosing one over the other. They're all the same God. That's the beauty of the Trinity, as crazy as it can seem. Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus and the Father. Because they're all one. And if you want a little bit deeper understanding, I would, I would challenge you to go back and listen to the Easter's message. It's awesome. I'm still learning about that subject. But this is the answer. I got the revelation and I got this sermon and teaching before I knew today was the day of Pentecost. I thought it was funny. I just laughed at the Lord. I just laughed at him like you're hilarious. So do you believe, well... The Lord told me just now some people are going to be offended by this, but I'm going to speak it anyway. Do you have trouble believing you are loved by God? Raise your hand. You don't have to. You have trouble with it. You believe a lie. You need deliverance. Period. Do you have trouble believing you're a son or daughter? Raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. I'm not even doing I'm not being an example. I'm raising my hand. I've had trouble with it. You believe a lie. I need deliverance. Do you have trouble believing you can hear the voice of God? Raise your hand. If you raised your hand because it's true or you didn't raise your hand because you were afraid to or because you really don't. But if you did raise your hand in your spirit because you know you wanted to raise your hand, you believe a lie and you need deliverance. Are you free from sin? Do you have to sin anymore? Ever. Do you have to sin? If you believe yes, you are believing a lie and you need deliverance. Either that or Jesus died for nothing. He didn't just die for your sins. He died to make us clean. Holy temples. And he proved it when he prophesied his own death. 
He said the temple will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. He was a temple for he housed the spirit of God. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit. For he had not sinned. In the Old Testament, we know that the temples couldn't be used. They had to be kept to a certain degree of commitment to the commandments of God and to his statutes. Why? Because it had to be kept holy. He said, if you keep it holy, then will I dwell among you. But if you don't, I'm leaving. But see, we were slaves to sin. So how could we house the presence of God? We could not. Jesus said, hey, Father, I know what your will is. Let's go do it. Let's fix this. I can do this by your will, Father. I submit to you. God himself submitted to God to show us how to live. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said, I do nothing, I say nothing, and I go nowhere unless the Father wills it. Why? That's the only way it could have come to pass. Why? Because Jesus maybe got himself incarnate. He was still in the flesh. And that shows us the grip sin had on the world to where God himself could even be tempted to sin. God has never known sin. He doesn't even tempt us to sin. That's in the Word. He can't. He can't contradict himself, for he's not a man to even lie. He's not a human who can lie. He can't. But he made sure we knew it. Does that make sense? I hope this is hitting like it was hitting me. And it's even crazy because I know people will hear this. And I know some people here are having trouble accepting what I'm preaching here. But I said to you earlier, if you can answer my question, stand up and answer it. Where does this word say you cannot become like Christ? That doesn't mean it's going to happen in a second. But you don't have to wait until you're dead either. He either came to free you from all sin, not some big ones right now. That happens a lot. Right when you get saved, some big things in your life, God wants God, he gets them gone, right? Where in the Bible does it say that? It does say that we need to walk in sanctification and there'll be a time where we have to walk in this. There'll be a time where we have to be sanctified and follow the Holy Spirit. I know this will take people off. But either Jesus died for our sins and to set us free indeed from the slavery of sin or we believe a lie and need deliverance. It's not supposed to look like we think it should. I read Romans a thousand times. And one of the greatest things that I was even getting this past couple of days is this. I don't, that's one of the greatest gifts ever given was grace, and I don't have to sin anymore. My sins are blotted out by the blood. And I don't praise the Lord that, I, that the Holy Spirit's given me and the team and people around me gifts to the church. It's, this is what, it, what Jesus meant by, we literally do not rejoice that we've cast out demons and set, and set people free in, in deliverance and and healing in Jesus' name, but that our lamb, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life because that is what's more important than anything is that I am His before anything else. Before you give me a title or an office, before you say anything and, and try to put something in front of my name, it better just be Son of God. I am not the Son of God, Jesus. Of course not. I'm not deity. I'm not part of God, but He is part. He's in me. I am his son because I've accepted it. It is that simple. It's not more complicated than that. Is Jesus your savior, yes or no? And do you have faith in it? If so, if you have trouble with anything, I'm just reading the Bible here. If you have trouble with it, if it's making you angry or upset, you're not angry with me, you're angry with God. 
Because it's not making sense to you. And then James 1, it says, for those who lack wisdom, ask the Lord who is willful, who will gladly and willfully give you wisdom, but you must ask in faith. Otherwise, don't expect to receive anything. So if you don't understand, if you say, you know what? Chase here is reading this. This actually goes against what I've been believing my whole life. I'm just reading the Bible and getting excited about it. One thing is true for a fact that nobody will even argue. Either this is true and you're wrong or you're true and this is wrong. If this is wrong, I'm going home and taking a nap. But if this is true, you're wrong if you don't agree with it. This is how I have to live. This is how all Christians should live. This is the living word of God. John says in the beginning was the word and the word was God, was God and the word was with God. He was talking about Jesus. Jesus, as the word also says, came to make, came to be and make the word made flesh. Otherwise, it's just a Bible. It's just a book with words. It's, I, people, oh, don't you ever been to page in the Bible? It's just a Bible. What God cares about is are you applying it? Are you with the hell with the help of the Holy Spirit who inspired men to write this? Are you applying this word? Because it also says not to be just hearers of the word, but doers. But so why do we listen to preaching then? The word says faith comes by hearing. And the actual original translation, if you read Amplify, which I really like, it actually explains this, and it explains it in this version of the study Bible as well. It says by hearing, parentheses, original translation of that preaching of the word of God. This helps build our faith. This can correct us because it corrects me. It's for me too. And half the stuff of uh, half the revelations that even get spoken are I'm getting at the moment. That's just how the Lord does. I asked him to do that. So I'm being built up in him as well. And it, what's great is some personal things are getting torn up right now. And all, we continue to choose to sin that we're choosing not to be sons and daughters of God. It's by our choice. God does not. It said, what can separate us? It's, it, I mean, he goes through all these things, but not one time it doesn't say yourself. The only thing that can separate you from your understanding of the love of God, that it doesn't change God's love for you, is yourself. By believing a lie. Most deliverance sessions I've been through in myself and other people have been breaking agreement with lies I had believed. It is, it's, I, I've seen a few, but most of the time it's not a bunch of demons. It's demon in, demonically influenced accusations and lies that go direct opposition to this word. Almost done here. Okay, I mean, uh, I'm going to go to chapter 10 real quick, if you're, if you're still with me. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That means for the sake of, to everyone who believes? How do you? How are you seen as righteousness in, in in righteousness to God? For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone 
who believes. You can't be righteous in the law. But Christ is the end of it if you believe. For Moses writes about the righteousness that this is the law. The one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will go into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what, we does, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. I was in a bad place one time and I had a dream. I don't get a lot of godly dreams. But I did this when I was in a white room taking a test and there were pastors from my past who were taking the same test and I couldn't read anything. It was like I was blind until I looked up from the paper and I could see everything. And I looked back down and it was a test, but I couldn't read it. And I just started writing things on it and I went to turn it in. They said, hey, turn the paper over. When you turn it in, as I turned it around, I saw Deuteronomy 23. Never read it a day in my life. So I got up and I read it the next day and it says this. The message is near you in your mouth and in your heart because he said, who can go across the ocean to understand God? Who can dive into the depths beyond any man and understand and see God? And who can do all these things that would be so much to understand God? Paul's saying two things. Deuteronomy's saying nobody can. Paul's saying this. Jesus did it to understand and to know him. He said, but the message is near you. The word of God is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. You have got to trust the Holy Spirit in you. You've got to trust his unctions when you have a thought that is not of God or temptation or a belief about yourself or your spouse or anyone around you that you know isn't true. But you start to you start to hear and you feel something. You say, no, get rid of that. Take it captive into Christ. Apply it to the word and see where it works. If it doesn't, it's a lie. Get rid of it. That's the Holy Spirit. We have to trust he is in us. We do not earn that. You do not earn the Holy Spirit in your life. You can honor it. You can grow in him. Grow closer to him as we do Jesus and the Father. But Jesus earned it all. So if you have the faith that you're saved and believed it, you don't have to feel it. That's not faith. He's, I just read it to you. In uh, Romans 7, I just read it to you. He said, we hope, but it's not hope once one sees. It's just an observation. It's not faith. But see, if you feel it before you believe it, that's not faith. That's not faith in Jesus. That's you expecting to feel something as some kind of proof or mark that it's real. That's not faith. But it's in the small things. Like with Elijah, it's in the still small voice. There was God. Now, God is loud in a lot of ways. He's not always just quiet, but in our everyday walk, a lot of the times he's quiet. And God showed me a lot one time. I said, Lord, sometimes I feel so far from you. I was on the way to work. It's like 3.30 in the afternoon. I work second shift on the interstate. And I saw this vision that lasted maybe five seconds, maybe. And I don't get a lot of visions either. I've had like three my whole life. And I saw this face come out of my face and was looking where I was looking, but it didn't look like me. And then it went back into my face and I heard the voice of God say, where you are, I am with you. And it was the Holy Spirit he let me see. But I could only see the back of his face through the front. It was weird. That's how I know it was from God. Because I was driving about 75 miles an hour. And I started just crying all the way to work. Because he's like, I'm there. And he said, Chase, why do you think I'm in this still small voice? If I walked up to you, Kelly, and I'm talking this, this loud right beside you, your ears will be ringing and you'll be half deaf by the time I'm done talking. But if I'm up close to you, I'm going to talk much lower. I'm going to almost whisper. And the closer I get to you, 
the quieter I have to be. You see what I'm saying? So when God sounds like, oh, well, why isn't God loud as Satan? Satan has to be loud because he's like a little yipping chihuahua. Notice that the loudest dogs we know are the smallest that can't do anything to you. In Christ, he says we will bruise his head with our heels. Why? Why can't we do that when we were once a slave to his lies and to sin? Because you're not anymore. You don't have to do it anymore. You don't have to sin anymore. You are free and you are free indeed. You have the Holy Spirit of the living God promised to us living in you now. And you don't have to feel it because he's here. He just wants you to trust. And the next time, uh, Lord, I don't know what to do with this part of my life. I don't know what to do next. What's the next step you want from me? What is your will? Holy Spirit, will you speak to me? I'm listening. Get a pen and paper. Seriously, I'm going to give you some practical advice. Get a pen and paper and get your Bible out. He's going to start talking to you. He's going to give you scripture to read. He's going to start talking to you for it. And the closer and the more you do it, and the more you're around people like that, the more you're going to learn how. I do not want to imagine my life and my walk with the Lord God Almighty without being able to know who the Holy Spirit is. We've gone too long without Him. This is the last thing I'm going to read here. The message is in it is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. It's your belief. It's your belief in Jesus that results in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Who in the past week has dealt with shame? Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. So it's not God, is it? It's not God, is it? He's saying, I'm not going to put you to shame. So if you're feeling shameful, who's talking to you? One of the biggest problems everybody has is they think the voice of Satan is their own. Sometimes Satan can lie to you enough to where you just keep saying the same thing he says. You don't even have to say anything anymore. But there's a reason if I'm reading this word to you, if you've been offended by me just reading scripture, that means that God is in direct defiance of what you believe, which really makes you defiant, does it not? It makes me defiant. I had to repent quite a bit last night. Just for these little small things that were just barely off, but they were so small off, such a small margin, it was causing me to miss completely. It was causing me to not be able to walk in confidence anymore and to know, yes, the word says this, and it does apply to me. It is that simple. If it was more complicated than that, it would be kind of defeating itself, wouldn't it? It's not meant to be overly complicated. We try to make it overly complicated. And when people even preach and teach and they make it overly complicated, they don't fully understand it. They don't. It is that simple. It's called the good news for reason. It's not, well, if you study for four years and get a degree, you'll be good in that subject. No, that's earned. You earned that education. Sure, you paid for it. Everybody's done that, but... You earned that. Does that make sense? The good news is called, the gospel means good news. It's good news because it is not something we've earned. It's not something we deserve. 
And it goes back to the most known verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world. Why did he choose to do that when we didn't earn or deserve it? He loves us. He made us in our image and he wanted to correct us. He wanted to do what the law could not do and what we could not do with the law. And that's what he chose to do with Jesus. You are set free. You're free. You don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to walk in blindness anymore for the rest of your life. You are not alone. You don't have to make decisions on your own. You don't have to be confused anymore. You don't have to live in shame or guilt anymore. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to control anything. For we submit to the Holy Spirit, to the Father's will in the name of Jesus, who is our advocate and intercessor. And we follow him daily. How? Through the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. It's that simple. If you don't know how to do that or never done it before, here's some good news. Just talk to him. Talk to him. He's not hiding from you. I just read it. He's for you. Who can be against you? God is for you. He wants you blessed. Not just in things. He wants you to feel his life. Because we have to walk in faith a lot. But God doesn't say, I'm going to withhold me. He said, I withhold no good thing from you. We don't earn his presence. We simply walk in it. And the more we walk in his presence, the more we walk in the Holy Spirit, the more he starts to show up because we have a learning process. Sanctification is of God. What's sanctification? Daily walk with God. Hey, Chase, you see that? You see how you just responded? Would you? Let's, let's go to prayer. Let's get this out of you. It's not like, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm like, Lord, you know, I repent for that. I want that out of my life. Some things go like that. Some things he wants to teach you through. Nonetheless, sanctification is something we will deal with one way or another. And it's a beautiful thing. But the point is to do what? Be more and more like Christ. And we can't achieve that. We can't. I used to actually preach the opposite. I've preached the opposite here. I've actually preached it before. And I'll say it because I was corrected. I was corrected last time. Paul says we would not be made full of glory until we were face to face with the Lord. I feel silly now. I thought that was sanctification. I thought the glory he was talking about was being like Jesus. He said we would not be made full in glory, what we were designed to be. Until, we're, In other words, we can't walk around as immortal beings on earth. We cannot walk around in the fullness of God's glory. Who has been laid out in the spirit here? I have. Who here has been laid out in the glory of God? It's only happened to me two times. I didn't know what it was the first time. I had no idea. He had to tell me. It's very different. But the first thing I felt was dirty. I did not, I, that right there showed me what the word holy meant, and only He was holy. I felt it. I felt every sin I had ever done on me, and it wasn't even, nobody was even talking to me. I felt it. I felt every sin, I felt so disgusting. And then it's almost like I felt Him come down and wipe it off, and He said, I've made you like me. And I just wept. For, I just cried for 45 minutes. I'm like, there's no way he's made me like that. But through Jesus, this what I read to you today, what I read and taught last Sunday, he's saying, I have. You don't have to feel it. Just believe in what Jesus did and walk according to what this says. Believe it and walk in it. You're already free. You don't know what to do next? Good news. Pray on the way home. He'll talk to you. Even better news, you have brothers and sisters around you who love you, who are for you just like God is, who will pray for you. You're never alone. Ever. Period. Whether you're here in person or watching this, if you want help in your walk, reach out. Reach out to the team. Reach out to me. We're here for you. The word says we're, we're that. Why we're that? Because of what Jesus did. One who believes with the heart is resulting in righteousness. 
One confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and, and Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 